Good morning, everybody. How are you guys doing? Good, good. It's good to good to be with you all this morning. Um, I am definitely excited to be done moving. Those of you who don't know, we moved yesterday, and it was crazy. People have been asking me, um, yes, thank you. People have been asking me, how did the move go? And I said, it went. It's, it's done. We'll just leave it at that. So if I don't have to move again for a long time, I'll be a very happy camper. So we, uh, we're, we're excited to finally be uh, in a home and, and hopefully going to be there for a long time so that we don't have to move anymore. Um, so, hey, uh, before we open up the, the word this morning, uh, I wanted to uh, kind of fill uh, the congregation in on uh, just a couple of things that we've been talking about as a church. I wanted to uh, just remind you guys of uh, our vision and our mission and kind of where we're going as a church. So uh, our mission statement, you heard Thomas uh, uh, say it earlier in the welcome, is that we exist to glorify God by helping people know Jesus and make him known in D.C. and around the world. That really encapsulates what we do as a church. And in our values, we have, we have six values. They're actually over here on, on these banners. And, and two of them in particular, intentional discipleship uh, and bold evangelism uh, are very important uh, for us. We want to equip every single person in our church to be able to share the gospel. Uh, and we want uh, to be very intentional about discipling every single believer. And we want to, to equip every believer to disciple others. Uh, we uh, believe that Scripture clearly teaches that uh, that's what it means to be a Christian is to uh, take up the responsibility of the Great Commission to go and make disciples. Um, I've been so, so excited to watch the way that God's been working in our church, and I'm so proud of our church. Uh, we have uh, almost every single one of our members right now is in a personal discipleship relationship, and right now uh, we've got 41 adult members, and 20 of those 41 are discipling someone else right now. That's that's awesome. Yeah, like we can definitely praise God for that. That's phenomenal. Um, I'm just so excited and encouraged to, to see that. And there's there's more uh, that are taking on disciples every day. In fact, I think that might even be 21 now because I think uh, one of our guys just started discipling somebody uh, just a few days ago. So um, I'm and as excited as I am about that, I also want us to keep in mind that that. Remember, Jesus wants all Christians to make disciples, so we want to continue equipping people. We're not done. We don't just say, hey, great, 20 of our members are uh, d- making disciples, so I think we're, we're good now. We can rest for a little while, you know, like we can, you know, that's good enough. No, no, we, we want to equip all of our people to be able to make disciples. And so uh, what we are, uh, our next goal, I guess, if you will, is that we want in the year 2020, we want to get to a place where we uh, have 50 plus disciple makers here at Pillar DC, where there's at least 50 people in our church who are intentionally investing into the life of another person, helping them grow in their relationship with God. Okay. And so uh, that is kind of where we're heading because we believe that's how we're going to reach our city. Uh, we believe that uh, it's as the saints do the work of the ministry, as you guys go out and you reach your neighbors, your coworkers, your friends, that is how we're going to see people begin to come to faith in Jesus uh, and see the city of D.C. transformed. So in light of all of that, in light of our mission and our values, uh, we have decided as a church that we're going to be uh, making a change heading into the new year, uh, and we're going to be moving away from traditional small groups in an effort to encourage everyone to be involved in discipleship relationships. So uh, one of the big challenges as 
elders, as pastors of the church, is figuring out uh, how best to um, uh, to uh, shepherd our church and how best to uh, serve you guys and provide you opportunities to be able to grow uh, as followers of Jesus. And uh, the calendar can be a very big challenge, right? We live uh, in a, uh, a busy city. Uh, we live in a city where uh, people are going to school, going to work. Uh, schedules are, are always different. And so, uh, we've decided that um, in an effort to prioritize things the way that we believe that God has called us to prioritize them, that we really want to uh, to focus uh, the, uh, I guess, the, uh, the aim of our calendars towards allowing you guys space to be able to invest into one-on-one discipleship relationships. Now, that doesn't mean that we don't think fellowship and gathering is important. And we have intentionally uh, created opportunities for those things on the calendar. So first of all, we're going to continue meeting for corporate prayer twice a month. Uh, So we're going to be doing that. We'll be meeting together, praying together, and fellowshipping. Uh, We're also going to continue having a monthly women's gathering and a monthly men's uh, Bible study. Uh, So uh, Thomas was just talking about that earlier. We've got our monthly men's group coming up this Saturday. And in addition to that, one of the other things that we want to do to just to encourage uh, you guys to meet up and to show hospitality to one another and fellowship is that once a month, uh, we're, uh, we're going to encourage all of our disciple makers to invite anybody that you're discipling, to invite them and their families over to your home for dinner or for dessert or for coffee or maybe invite them out to eat just to gather together. Uh, so I'll give you an example. Right now I'm discipling four guys. And so uh, I, uh, you know, would call up each of those guys and I'd say, hey, I'm going to invite, I want you guys to come over to my house, bring your families uh, this Wednesday, and we're going to just hang out and we're going to have dinner together. And obviously during that time, it's an intentional time. We're not just, I'm not just forgetting about discipleship, but I'm inviting them into my home so that they can see the way that I interact with my wife. Or Thomas is inviting his disciples into his home so that they can see the way that he parents his children, uh, things like that. So uh, those are some of the ways that we're going to be encouraging uh, the people in our church to fellowship with one another throughout the month. Uh, And then uh, obviously we're going to continue those discipleship meetups that you guys are already involved in. We'll talk a little bit more about that as we get into the message. So, But I wanted to kind of, if you got more questions about that, uh, pull me aside afterwards. You can talk to Thomas. You can email us, and we'd be happy to kind of fill you in. That's the best I can do because I don't have a lot of time this morning to really go into detail on uh, the thinking behind that that decision, but uh, uh, I'd be happy to, to fill you in more if you would like uh, a bigger explanation later, okay? Um, so this morning, we're going to be in 2 Timothy chapter 2, and you're going to see here in just a moment that that announcement that I just made is tied into the sermon. It's tied into the passage. Uh, the book of 2 Timothy was written by the Apostle Paul. It was written to Timothy. Uh, he had led Timothy to Christ, and he was discipling Timothy. So Timothy was his son in the faith. And he had left Timothy in the city of Ephesus, where Paul had planted a church. And Timothy was now uh, pastoring uh, those believers there in Ephesus. And he was uh, responsible for helping to raise up more leaders there. And Paul was writing to encourage Timothy. Uh, this is their, uh, the second letter that Paul wrote to Timothy uh, that we have in the New Testament. Um, Timothy was facing obstacles there in Ephesus uh, when, it, when it came to equipping the church. 
there were false teachers, apparently, that were inside the church. There were people that were trying to undermine him uh, and the teaching of the gospel. And they also faced the threat of persecution from outside. Uh, that is a theme that kind of runs throughout this book. You're, we're going to see that in the text, that Paul is going to talk to Timothy about the reality of suffering when it comes to making disciples, when it comes to proclaiming the gospel. Uh, Paul says in 2 Timothy chapter 3, uh, verse 12, he says, all who, are, who live godly lives in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. And so uh, that's a consistent theme you see throughout the book. Um, so the main... The main message, the main, uh, if I could summarize today's message uh, in one sentence, it would be this. Christians must persevere in the work of protecting the gospel and passing it on to others. Christians must persevere in the work of protecting the gospel and passing it on to others. And I actually kind of think that might be a good summary sentence for the entire book of 2 Timothy as well, not just for uh, this message. Um, this is an important message for our church. For a couple reasons. Number one, in light of that vision that I just shared with you of, of seeing 50 plus disciple makers in our church in 2020. Uh, this passage uh, is going to help show us how we can get there. Uh, it's also important because like I said earlier in Ephesians chapter 4 verses 11 and 12, Paul says that it's the job of the leaders of the church to equip the saints for the work of ministry. Saints is just another word for Christians. So that means that the job of ministry is actually not my job and, and Thomas's job. It's, it's all of your jobs. All of us are called to do ministry. All of us are called to go and to make disciples. And so we want to figure out how, uh, number one, how can I do that? And number two, how can I equip others to be able to do that? Now, there are a variety of sentiments when it comes to disciple-making and discipleship. Everybody's at a different place in, in their life here. I recognize that. Some of you are intimidated at the thought of helping others follow Jesus. It just seems like, I just don't know how I could do that. Others of you know that you should do it, but it's just not that high on your priority list. It's kind of one of those things that you're like, yeah, as soon as this next season of life is done, I'll get around to it. But it just seems like that, 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 that timeline keeps getting pushed back and pushed back. Others feel like maybe you're failing as a believer. So how could I possibly help somebody else when I feel like I can't even lead myself? Well, how am I supposed to actually help somebody else grow? And Paul wrote to Timothy to encourage him as a disciple maker. And no matter where you're at this morning, I think this passage is exactly what is needed. In 2 Timothy 2, 1-7, we will see where we get the strength for disciple-making, what the aim of disciple-making is, and what the cost of disciple-making is. We're going to see where we get the strength for disciple-making, what the aim of disciple-making is, and what the cost of disciple-making is. Now let me be clear about the outcome that I'm aiming for this morning. But when I, when I preach a sermon... Okay, when I, I've, I've spent time in the Word, okay, I've studied the Word of God, and I have, I have a desired outcome that I want. I want to see an, a change in your lives as a result of you hearing the Word of God this morning. This is my desired outcome. I want every person here to make the commitment to be discipled and to make disciples no matter the cost. I want every person in this room to make the commitment to be discipled and to make disciples no matter the personal cost. I know that there are also many Christians 
here in this room and, and not just in this room, all over the city, who are not being discipled themselves. And the first step to being a disciple maker is being discipled yourself. Every believer needs at least two relationships in their life. They need somebody who's pouring into them and somebody that they're pouring into. I want you to know that the reason I'm urging you to move past simply attending on Sunday mornings and neglecting fellowship the rest of the week is not to put a guilt trip on you. I'm not here to to make you feel bad because... Uh, you only are involved on Sunday mornings and you're not in discipleship or you're not uh, coming to prayer meetings, things like that. I, I'm, I'm encouraging you to move past a simple Sunday morning commitment because I care about you, because I love you, because I, I want to see you grow in your relationship with Christ. Discipleship is how you grow in Christ-likeness. Bible's very clear about that. Hebrews chapter 10 in our reading plan this week says that we shouldn't neglect meeting together, but we should stir one another on towards love and good works and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Capital D on day. That means the day that Jesus comes back. Also, Christians are a part of the body of Christ. When you're saved as a Christian, this isn't like an individual act, like you're actually saved into a community. You're saved into a body of believers. And so whether you want to be or not, you're connected with the other Christians around the world, but especially you should be connected with Christians in a local church, in a local body, where you're in relationship with one another beyond just a passing hello on Sunday mornings. And But the other, the other thing I would just say is, I would just ask you, don't you want people in your life who will love you unconditionally? Who will faithfully pray for you? Who will ask you the tough questions that no one else is going to ask you? Everybody knows your real friends aren't the people who fluff you up and tell you what you want to hear. Your, your real friends are going to be the people that are going to love you enough to tell you what you need to hear. Don't you want to be a part of a family that's never going to let you go without? That's going to be there for you? when you face trials and difficulties in your life, that's what being a part of a healthy church is. And we've got a healthy church here. We've got a good church here. Uh, and, and all of those things are available in this community. And I understand that the step of connecting relationally may be intimidating for some. I, I do understand that. I don't know your background. I don't know what you've been through. You may have had a hard experience at a previous church, and, and I want to be sensitive to that. But my hope and prayer is that today you'll just take the next step, even if it's a small step. Maybe that step is even as small as just indicating on your connection card that you're interested in discipleship and then dropping it off at the info table before you leave. Maybe that's the next small step that you need to take. Whatever that is, I want you to take the next step this morning, okay? So now that I put my cards out on the table, let's go ahead and open up to 2 Timothy chapter 2. And we're going to read verses 1 to 7. The words will be on the screen behind me. You can also take your Bible and open up to it. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 to 7. This is the Word of God. You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. 
It is the hard-working farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. Let me pray. Father, I thank you so much for your word that's, uh, that is uh, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing between the division of bone and marrow. God, your word is what transforms and changes our hearts, not Jared's words, not, uh, not the songs that we sing. God, it's the word of God that transforms us and, and makes us more like you, Jesus. So I pray that this morning that you would speak to us. Uh, that we, you would give us ears to hear, that we would listen, that we would humble ourselves before you, and that you would not let us leave here the same person as we were when we walked in. God, please teach us how to make disciples this morning. Teach us how to be faithful disciples this morning through your word. And God, please help me to preach. Apart from you, I can do nothing. God, I am a sinner. <laughs> I am not worthy of, of anything from you. God, I don't deserve anything, but you have poured out so much grace on my life because of the blood of Jesus that was shed on my behalf. That's the only reason I can stand here and I can teach this morning. That's the only reason we can sit here and we can hear your word and we can pray to you and we can worship you this morning is because of your grace and mercy. So God, please, please help me. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. First point on your outline is strength for disciple making. Second Timothy 2, 1 to 7 shows us where we get the strength for disciple making. So making disciples is a challenge. That's why you need strength. For Timothy, like I said, there were false teachers outside or inside the church, and there were uh, people persecuting uh, the believers from outside the church. And Paul didn't want Timothy to be intimidated or discouraged at how difficult things were. You know, it's actually really normal to feel inadequate or intimidated when it comes to making disciples or to take a bold stand for the gospel. That's a pretty normal thing. Some think that the strength for disciple making comes from being a great teacher. Like if you have the gift of teaching and you're able to kind of open up the Bible and you can, uh, you know, teach the word in, in an impressive manner, that that's what it takes to become a good disciple maker. Other people think uh, it comes from being a Christian for a long time. Like, just the longer you've been a Christian, the better disciple maker you're going to be. You just need a lot of experience before you're really ready to kind of take that step. Other people think that the strength comes from knowing the Bible really well, or taking classes, or having a seminary degree, or some sort of knowledge that, that you have to gain. And it's only, it's only then that you're able to be an effective disciple maker. But none of those things actually provide you with the strength that you need because making disciples is entering into the fray of a spiritual war. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against the principalities, the powers, and the rulers of the darkness of this world, Ephesians 6 says. So that means that head knowledge and experience, while they're not bad things, I have a seminary degree, I'm not bashing them, and while they're not bad things, it's not what makes a disciple maker. Not to mention the very act of disciple making is, is impossible if you really think about it. When you're discipling somebody, you're helping them become more like Jesus. They're being transformed from the inside out. You can't transform someone from the inside out. I can't transform someone from the inside out. I can't even change myself from the inside out, let alone help you change from the inside out. 
That's, that's something that I just can't do. So Jesus is calling us to do something that is supernatural. We can't do it in our own strength. The strength we need, verse 1 says, comes from the grace that is in Christ Jesus. That word grace means unmerited gift. God actually gives us the strength we need to do what He's called us to do. Now, there's two ways to understand that phrase, the grace that is in Christ Jesus. I think first, Paul is talking about the forgiveness that we have in Jesus. In chapter 1, if we flip back a chapter in verse 9, Paul, Paul reminds Timothy that Jesus saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of His own purpose and grace. Let me just remind you that we deserve death and condemnation for our sin. The wages of sin is death. And the good news is that Jesus came and He went to the cross to take the punishment that we deserve for our sin. When Jesus was hung on that cross, He hung on that cross to take the wrath of God in the place of sinners. And then three days later, Jesus rose from the dead. And by grace, He gives us the gift of salvation and He calls us to a holy calling. What's the holy calling? The holy calling is the calling of being an ambassador of Christ, of being a disciple maker. The good news is that Jesus is alive and if you repent and believe, you'll be saved and you'll have the privilege of being an ambassador for Christ. This isn't a salvation or a calling that we qualify ourselves for. It's not because of our works, Paul says. So when it comes to disciple makers, God is not looking for impressive people. I tell you guys this all the time. God is looking for availability, not ability, when it comes to disciple makers. All, every single one of us has been saved by grace. Every single one. Now the second way to understand the grace that is in Christ Jesus is this. The grace of God is also power. It's not just forgiveness. It's not just pardon. It's also power. If you're a Christian, then you received the gift of the Holy Spirit when you believed. The Spirit of the risen Jesus Christ dwells within you. This means that we can draw on His power and not our own. In Ephesians chapter 3, verse 16, uh, Paul is praying for the Ephesians. He says, I pray that God would grant you to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in your inner being. You see that there? Where do you draw the strength to do things like have a hard conversation with your disciple when you find out that they've been walking in unrepentant sin? Where do you draw the strength to meet with your disciple when you've been struggling in your own walk with God and you just want to stay at home and be alone? Where do you draw the strength to have the wisdom to know how to help someone you're discipling work through difficult relationship issues? Where do you get the strength to do those things? It's by trusting in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. The Holy Spirit who dwells within you will give you what you need to do it. The only thing you need to be able to do to have the strength to be a disciple maker is to admit that you're weak and then call upon the Lord for help. Who here can admit that they're weak? Who here knows how to call upon the Lord and say, help? Then you can be a disciple maker. 
That's the point. Because the power doesn't reside in your flesh. It doesn't, you weren't born with it. It's given to you. It's the grace of God that is in Christ Jesus. And it's a free gift because it's in Christ Jesus. It's been purchased by the blood of Jesus. You've been given the gift of the Holy Spirit as a free gift of God's grace. That means that you've got, if you've got the Holy Spirit inside of you, you've got what it takes to be a disciple maker. God will never let disciple makers go without the strength that they need to do what He's called them to do. So God's grace is the strength for disciple making, but we also need to make sure we understand the aim of disciple making. There's two areas of focus when it comes to the aim of disciple making. The first is the preservation of the gospel. Paul told Timothy to pass on the message of the gospel to others who would then pass it on to others. That's called multiplication. But the word Paul used was the word entrust. Did you see that? That's an important word, and it's an important theme in the book of 2 Timothy. Just a couple of verses earlier in chapter 1, verse 14, Paul told Timothy, By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. When we entrust something to someone, it means that we care about what happens to it after we hand it off, right? We're not giving it away. When it comes to the gospel, we're not, we're not giving it away like we would give clothes to goodwill. We're not selling the gospel. Like this week when we were moving, we, we sold this leather chair that I had that we got when we were first married. And these, a couple of these college guys came and got it. I could care less what they do with it after they've got it. They could burn it in a fire. They could throw it on the side of the road. I mean, I guess I, I prefer they don't do that because that's litter. But you get the point. I don't care what they do with that chair. They can do whatever they want. They could never use it again. They could do whatever they want because I've sold it to them. I didn't entrust the chair to them. Now, uh, the past several months, though, uh, Jen and I have a dog and a cat, and uh, we weren't allowed to have the dog and the cat at the house that we were at when we first moved to D.C., so we entrusted Simba and Timbit to the Hudson family because we cared about what happened to the dog and the cat, right? We didn't just, you know, whatever, we don't care, good luck, dog and cat. Like, we, we care about our pets, and so we entrusted our pets to them, knowing that this is a faithful man who will, in, who will take care of Timbit and Simba. We are to entrust the gospel, not sell it, not give it away. It's completely different. Because it matters what happens to the gospel after we pass it on. The gospel is precious and we can't afford to be casual about getting it right. So it's not enough merely to pass on a message. Have you ever played the game Telephone? You guys know the game Telephone, right? Everybody's in a long line and you... Uh, pass on a message, you whisper a message into one person's ear and then they whisper it. By the time it gets to the end of the line, usually the message has completely changed and it's not even recognizable from the original message. It gets lost because it's not carefully transmitted. 2 Timothy 2.2 uses the word entrust because the details of the gospel matter. We cannot lose them in translation. It's life or death. See, we need to multiply, but it matters what we multiply. The best way to guard the gospel is to go to the Word of God. If you are unsure how to explain the gospel or a theological concept to someone you're discipling, go to God's Word and let the Word of God do the heavy lifting for you. 
It's also helpful to have a tool when you share the gospel. We teach people how to use the three circles. It's a helpful guide to be able to, to make sure that you don't miss an important step in the gospel, when you're sharing the gospel, like the resurrection of Jesus. How, you know, I would encourage you when you're meeting up with your disciple maker, uh, practice a tool like that together. Um, ask if you've never heard, uh, you know, had anybody teach you a tool like the three circles, ask the person who's discipling you to show you how. Uh, you can come up and ask me after the service, and I'll show you how. Uh, when you meet for your discipleship meetups, disciple makers, you should be teaching your disciples how to share the gospel. You should be teaching them how to make disciples. So uh, practice these things with one another. Get feedback. But as important as it is to preserve the gospel, we can't just preserve it. We can't just bury it in the ground and hide it out of fear. We also need to multiply There's preservation and then there's multiplication. Multiplication is the other aim of disciple making in your outline. Paul didn't want Timothy to just bury the gospel in the ground. He wanted him to pass it on. There's actually four generations there in 2 Timothy 2.2 that you see. Notice he says in verse 2, Paul says, What you've heard from me, so that's Paul, in the presence of many witnesses, and he's talking to Timothy. So what Paul has passed to Timothy... Timothy is to entrust that to faithful men who in turn will teach others also. So right there, there's four generations of disciples in one single verse. The work of disciple making is not reserved for paid staff or experts. Every Christian has the same Holy Spirit dwelling within them. Every Christian is called to make disciples. I mean, it's really simple math if you think about it. If only a few believers are making disciples, then not many people are going to be reached in our city. Like, we're going to continue to see the majority of of the people in our city uh, go unreached and never actually have a follower of Jesus uh, come up to them and present the gospel to them and invite them to follow Jesus. Guys, um, I'll tell you this. I know that, you know, everybody in D.C. usually is from all over the country. So some of you are from the south, some of you are from the north. We're all over the place. I'm from Texas originally lived in Canada, so I've lived in a very churched area in the Bible Belt, and I've lived in a very, very unchurched area in Canada where there were hardly any Christians. Uh, D.C. is somewhere kind of in the middle, although it's more on the unchurched side now. And I'm telling you, uh, as we continue to go out and we, when we go out and do evangelism out here, the majority of the people that I walk up to and that we talk to have never had somebody explain the gospel to them before. That's right here in the, in the capital of our nation. Like, guys... We need to get, as the American church, we need to move past this delusion that everybody's heard this already. It's not true. It's a lie from the pit of hell. People, for the most part, have not heard the gospel or have not had the gospel explained to them. Okay? Just because people know that Easter is somehow related to Jesus doesn't mean that they've been, had the gospel presented to them and been invited to place their faith in Christ. There's a huge difference. We've got to compel people to come into the kingdom of God like the Scriptures say. And we need all of us to be able to reach the people in our city. It can't just be a select few. Think about what would happen if everybody in this room got equipped to make disciples and you guys started going out and doing that. Like We could see this city reach for the gospel. I mean, there's a picture of, uh, there should be of an oik- what we call an oikos map uh, behind me. Every single one of you has a network of relationships in your life. So if you just put your name there in the middle, 
Uh, and then right around you, you put the names of some people that you know that are not following Jesus. They could be coworkers, could be friends, family members, the clerk at the gas station. It could be anybody that you might know, whether you're really close to them or just acquaintances. And then think about the people that they know. Maybe you don't directly know Lisa there, but Richard does. And so what if you shared the gospel with Richard and Richard became a Christian and then you taught Richard how to go and make disciples and then Richard had his own network of relationships that he started going and reaching. Do you see how we could have an exponential impact if we were all to do this? Because every single person in this room has a network of relationships like that. And we're in a city of like 6 million people where 90% are unaffiliated with an evangelical church. You have a responsibility to make disciples. It comes with the territory of being a Christian. But it's not just a responsibility, it's a privilege. There is nothing like the joy of being used by God to help someone else grow in their walk with Jesus. There's nothing better than that. It's amazing to watch, I think sometimes it's about my own life, it's amazing to watch God use somebody like me despite my many shortcomings. And friends, God wants to work in and through you too. Like I said earlier, you have the same Holy Spirit dwelling within you as I have in me. There is nothing special or different about me. Okay? I am a a sinner that is weak and helpless in my own strength, just like every other person in this room. But I've got the Holy Spirit inside of me. And if you're a believer, then so do you. You can make disciples. I want to challenge all of you to think about who you could invest in. Who could you help take the next step in following Jesus? I'd encourage you to make one of those relationship maps on your own. Go home today after church and go think about the people in your life that don't know Jesus. You don't need to know a lot. Even if you've only been a Christian for a month, there's someone who's only been at it for a week. So you can help them grow. Maybe you've got a friend who isn't a Christian. Ask them to read the Bible with you this week. If you don't know how, then fill out that connection card and mark, I'm interested in discipleship, and we'll teach you. We'll show you. We want to help you make disciples. I think about the impact of multiplication in my life. And the guy that led me to, to Jesus uh, is a guy named uh, Joshua. And Joshua, uh, the guy that led him to Jesus, uh, was a pastor who visited him when he was in, in prison and led him to the Lord. And Joshua uh, ended up getting out of prison, devoted his life to then going and making disciples and helping others follow Jesus. And one of those others was me. Uh, and he met me and uh, he took the time to invest in me, to share the gospel with me, to challenge me, to actually follow Jesus with my life. And then uh, he showed me how to do that. And then I, in turn, got the privilege to go and to make disciples myself. I, I got to, uh, we, we got to go up to Canada, and I got to teach a man named Mike uh, how to make disciples. Who He had never really shared the gospel before. And then uh, Mike ended up becoming an elder at the church that we planted up there. And now Mike is discipling others. So you see this, this chain? And it's all because of this pastor, who I don't even remember his name, who went and visited Joshua in jail and took the time to start investing in Joshua's life. Just started meeting with him on a weekly basis and reading the Bible with him. Showing him what it looks like to be a man of God, how to follow Jesus. And because of that, there is a, there are, we've lost, probably lost count in how many people know Jesus because of that pastor's, you know, initiative. And again, not everybody in that chain is a pastor. Joshua's not a pastor. Mike 
up in Canada, he's a lay elder. He's a full-time high school math teacher. You can, every, every single one of you has the potential to have that kind of impact. But here's something I was thinking about. As I was thinking about just all the people who've invested in me and the people I've had the opportunity to invest in, uh, thinking about that multiplication through my life, one thing that hit me was I don't ever want to be the reason that the flow of multiplication stops. I never want to be the clog in that, in that flow of multiplication. I would encourage you in the same way. Don't let multiplication die out with you. Don't receive the gospel and then just let it stop there and not invest into others. But continue investing and encouraging your disciples to do the same. You've been entrusted with this awesome responsibility and you've got the Spirit's power to do it. And I got to warn you though, the disciple-making come, also comes at a cost. We've seen where we get the strength for discipleship and the aim of disciple-making, but we can't ignore that there's a cost to disciple-making. In verse 3, Paul says, Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. Paul himself was suffering for the gospel in prison as he wrote this letter to Timothy. And that's a consistent theme in Paul's second letter to Timothy. Paul makes it clear over and over that suffering should be an expectation of any follower of Jesus who's making disciples. And Paul actually uses three different analogies here to describe the the hardships of making disciples. And then in in verse 7, he says, think over what I say, and the Lord will give you understanding in these things. So that's what we're going to do real quick. We're going to think about them together. So the first uh, thing that that Paul compares disciple-making to is he says it takes the dedication of the soldier. The dedication of the soldier. Uh, as a soldier during my time in the army, uh, I didn't get orders from my commanding officer and then say, yeah, sir, I'll get to that soon, but I've got some errands to run first. But I'll, I'll make sure and do that for you, sir. I, it's just not the way that it works. You don't just get to decide, I'm going to do things the way that I want to. Being in the army means I'm about whatever the army tells me to be about. There's a saying that we had in the army, maintain your military bearing. It means act like a soldier. It means to conduct yourself with professionalism, whether you're in uniform or whether you're not in uniform. Military personnel can't run around acting like civilians. There's a certain way we must carry ourselves. And it's the same for disciples of Jesus. We've got a master and our primary mission, just like a soldier, is to obey orders from up top. And for Christians, this means that making disciples has to move to the top of our priority list because that is the primary order from the top of the chain of command. It means your plans for your life, your career, your future marriage, your finances, whatever, they need to be laid down upon the altar. Soldiers don't get entangled in civilian affairs. Jesus says in Luke 9, 23, 24, he says, If anyone wants to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. Making disciples takes single-minded devotion. Yes, you could decide that's too demanding and you could keep living for yourself, Or you could try to cling to those certain areas of your life 
and serve God at the same time, but kind of try to maintain control of those areas that you really don't want to let go of. But Jesus just said it doesn't work that way. God is not interested in half-hearted devotion. He's a great king, the creator of the universe and all that is in it. And he wants you to serve him with all of your heart. And when you do, that's when you will truly find life. But some of you here this morning need to take some of, the area, some of these areas of your life and you need to lay them down at the altar. And you need to put disciple-making at the top of your priority list where it belongs. Amen? The other uh, way that Paul describes the cost of disciple-making is it takes the discipline of the athlete. The discipline of the athlete. Athletes in Paul's day competed in the Olympiad, and they were required to train for 10 months. And then they had to sign an oath saying that they had done it just to qualify for the games. There are no shortcuts to being a professional athlete or a disciple maker. I made, the, uh, I made the B squad for my high school tennis team my sophomore year of high school. You think I made it there by sitting on the couch all week? It's supposed to be a joke. I wasn't very good at tennis, but I tried. I tried. In seriousness, one of the, one of the rules of disciple-making is that suffering comes with it. We, we can't just get around it. it. It may be the suffering of watching someone you just, you've been pouring your life into turn on you. Paul, told, he, Paul wrote the Galatians uh, when there was a controversy breaking out there, and many of the, the people in Galatia that he had led to Christ and discipled were turning against him. And in chapter 4, verse 8, he asked them, have I become your enemy by telling you the truth? Paul asked them that. That's going to happen. We had a, a, there was a, an individual that uh, came to faith uh, under uh, our ministry up in Canada, and we got to disciple that person. And then that person actually shared the gospel with one of, one of their family members, and their family member gave their life to Christ. And that, in, that individual even baptized the family member uh, that she led to Christ. Uh, and then um, at one point, uh, she uh, was uh, making some decisions that were not good decisions as a follower of Jesus. And so as uh, one of her pastors, I approached her about that in love and just said, hey, you know, we've noticed this in your life. Uh, and she got angry with me and left the church and, uh, and began to slander us and, and, and turned on us. And that, that was hard. And there will be difficult times if you're going to, to put yourself out there to make disciples. Things like that are going to happen. It, it may be the suffering of being persecuted or being ridiculed. The bottom line is it's not easy. But an athlete is not crowned unless he or she competes according to the rules. It also takes the diligence of the farmer. Making disciples is hard work. It takes diligence. You've got to get your hands dirty. And sometimes the crops don't grow. Other times it just takes a really long time to see the fruit come out of the ground. Other times the fruit never comes. Those are all realities that come with disciple making. So how do you push through that? Well, you push through it because by remembering that, number one, it's not about us, and it's not on us to produce results. One of my favorite passages is 1 Corinthians 3, 6, and 7, where Paul says, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is, is anything, but only God who gives the growth. 
that verse right there just should take all the weight off of your shoulders when it comes to disciple making. And you should realize, oh, wow, I can breathe. It's not on me. Not, I'm not special. I don't, the weight's not on me. It's on God who gives the growth. He's the one that causes hearts to be transformed. We must simply be faithful. That means doing the dirty work of faithfully praying for your disciples, of meeting up when you don't feel like it, of preparing for discipleship meetups instead of winging it. I got to tell that one to myself sometimes because sometimes I like to wing it. Of modeling evangelism and, and scripture reading means doing the hard work of actually holding your disciples accountable, of asking them the tough questions. All of those things take work. They take effort, but it's, it's worth it. It's worth it taking the effort to invest into the life of another person. Have you counted the cost of making disciples? I hope you have, and I hope you've seen that it's more than worth it this morning. That it's more than worth it to invest into the life of another. Because the reality is, is that if you're a believer, it's because somebody invested in you. Somebody took the time to proclaim the gospel to you. And somebody has been pouring into your life, hopefully showing you how to follow Jesus. So while the cost for disciple making is high, it's nothing compared to the price that was paid to redeem us from sin. And this morning, we're going to respond to the message by taking the Lord's Supper together. The strength for disciple-making, Paul says, comes from the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the reason we have God's pardon and power is because Jesus died in our place. We can stand blameless before God because of the blood of Jesus that's been shed for us and because of the body of Jesus that was broken for us. And we take the Lord's Supper to remember that and to mark the fact that we're a people that have been set apart. We're a part of the people of God. Um, the Lord's Supper is reserved for believers. So this morning I would ask that if you're not a follower of Jesus, if you're not a Christian, I'd ask that you please refrain from taking the Lord's Supper uh, this morning. Because when we take the Lord's Supper, what we're saying is we're saying, first of all, that I have uh, placed my faith and my trust in Jesus. My hope is in the blood of Jesus that was spilled for me and the body of Jesus that was broken for me. I believe that He took the judgment for my sin in my place. And so we're declaring that when we partake of the Lord's Supper. So if you don't believe that, then I would ask that you please uh, refrain from taking the Lord's Supper. But what I'd like you to do instead during that time this morning is I would love it if you would, would pray and give your life to Christ this morning, if you sense that that's what God is calling you to do. If you have never trusted in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins, I want you to know that you are invited this morning to do that. You can call upon the name of the Lord Jesus right here, right now, and you will be saved. You don't have to do anything to fix your life up first. You don't have to try to, to get things in order before you're ready to start being a Christian. We're saved by grace, which means it's a free gift. God is the one who's going to do the cleaning up. If you've got some cleaning up in your life to do, in your soul, that's good that you've acknowledged that. But what I want you to understand is that God is the one who's going to change you from the inside out. So actually your first step in getting cleaned up is calling upon the name of the Lord this morning. It's saying, Jesus, I need your grace. I admit that I'm a sinner, that I'm in need of forgiveness. I believe you died on the cross for me and rose from the dead. Would you please come into my life and make me a new person? I'm ready to follow you. So that's what I would invite you to do this morning if you're not a Christian. For the rest of you... If you're a believer here, I first want you to just examine your heart. 
Uh, and, and as we take the Lord's Supper, let's do this prayerfully and, and ask God if there's any, any way uh, in which you are not walking uh, in conformity to the will of God in your life and, and take the opportunity to confess that to God this morning as we take the Lord's Supper and to repent uh, of that. And then let's also take the opportunity to praise and to thank God for the cross, for the grace uh, that has purchased us uh, into God's family. Amen. All right. So I'm going to ask now, um, the uh, elements are at the back, and so you guys can, um, this side of the room can kind of go around this way, and this side of the room can go around this way. Why don't you go ahead and go and take uh, the bread and the juice and bring it back to your chair, and we'll take it together. All right. I'm going to read a passage out of Luke chapter 22. Uh, The scene is that Jesus is uh, around the table uh, with his disciples at the Last Supper. It's the night that he's going to be betrayed. Early the next morning, he's going to have nails driven through his hands and through his feet. He's going to be hung on a cross to suffer and to die, and he knows that it's coming. He knows that he's going to take the sin of the world upon himself, that he's going to, uh, having walked in intimate fellowship with the Father his entire Life And from all eternity past, having never had broken fellowship with the Father, he's going to face the wrath of the Father towards sin on behalf of sinners. And he knows that that's coming. And he takes uh, this this Last Supper with the disciples. um, And he he freely goes to the cross for you and for me, knowing that that's what faces him. Here's what he says that night around the table, Luke 22, verse 19. says, He took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup, after they had eaten, saying, This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross for our sins. Thank you for saving us by your grace. We love you. Lord, I'm thankful that we have fellowship with you. I'm thankful, God, that you have purchased our freedom from sin and from death and that we have all eternity to look forward to in your presence. God, I pray that you would be lifted high and exalted in each one of our hearts this morning. Lord, I pray that you'd be glorified as we continue to worship you, as we sing to you one last time before we depart from one another this morning. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.